0: You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church Podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website, This is thisisbaptistchurch.com. What beautiful songs. You know, the Bible constantly talks about the just shall live by faith, and we stand on God's faithfulness, and that's important. Well, the kids are beginning to make their way, and while they're doing that, I want you to take your Bibles... And turn to the gospel of luke luke chapter 18 beginning with verse 18 luke 18 beginning with verse 18 today i'm not going to be preaching from notes i kind of feel the lord just i i all week tried to put together notes even last night and they just simply would not come together kind of felt like there was a basic outline but it just uh, seemed to me the lord was saying I want you to trust me this morning luke 18 beginning at verse 18 we're talking today we're in the series fixing our eyes on jesus the bible tells us that fix your eyes on jesus and we've been looking at different individuals we looked at a man by the name of zacchaeus you remember that little short tax collector that ran up ahead climbed that sycamore tree and waited for that encounter with christ Then we looked at that woman with the issue of blood, and you remember how she inched her way through that crowd, touched the tassel of his garment. The Bible said she was immediately made well. We talked about Jairus, this man whose daughter was dying, who asked Jesus to come and to heal his daughter, lay his hands on his daughter and heal her. And remember, we talked as Jesus did that. Today we're looking at a man that we don't know his name. The Bible says he uh, was a ruler. He was a rich ruler. And so, picking up at Luke 18, beginning at verse 18, a certain ruler asked him, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments do not commit adultery. Do not murder do not steal do not give false testimony honor your father and mother all these i have kept since i was a boy he said when jesus heard this he said to him you still lack one thing sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me when he heard this he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth Jesus looked at him and said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Those who heard this then asked, Who who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, We've left it all in order to follow you. I tell you the truth Jesus said to them no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and the age to come eternal life let's pray Lord we love you we give you glory Lord, help us to understand this encounter. Because of all the encounters in Scripture, this may be the saddest. This man failed to fix his eyes on Jesus. His eyes were fixed on his wealth, on his riches. So we pray, dear Lord, that you would speak to us today. And Lord, cleanse me, forgive me, let me be a tool in your hand. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I, um, I was looking through just some illustrations and things on riches and money. You know, we got into this when we were talking about Zacchaeus. But let me read to you some of the comments that I came across. Uh, Herschel Hobbes Herschel Hobbes was the one that framed the Baptist faith and message. He was a prominent preacher and theologian and Bible scholar. He said, listen to this, he said, make money honestly, lots of it, use it wisely, all of it, and dedicate it religiously, every last cent of it. John Wesley said, earn all you can, save all you can, Give all you can. John Rockefeller said this. He said, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. Knight said this. He said, there are two ways to be rich. One is to have all you want, and the other is to be satisfied with what you have. The Bible says in First Timothy six eight and having food and raiment let us be there with content. Andrew Carnegie, a multimillionaire, sat in his living in his dining room in a swanky hotel. Before him was untouched food. Carnegie's health was failing; his appetite was gone. He chanced to look out the window and he saw a working man sitting on the curb. This working man was heartily enjoying his noonday lunch, his sack lunch. Carnegie then exclaimed, I'd give a million dollars to have an appetite like that man. A couple more. One writer said treasures in heaven are laid up only as, listen to this, this is, this is good. Treasures in heaven are laid up only as treasures on earth are laid down and that's something let me say that again treasures in heaven are laid up only when you and i are laying our treasures on this earth down the last one it was in a london newspaper it said money is the article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven and the universal provider of everything except happiness In other words, you can have all that the world offers. You can have money. You can have the riches. You can have everything. But you just simply can't buy your way into heaven. It's not a passport to heaven. And it's not a passport to happiness. It doesn't make you happy. We saw that in Zacchaeus. And today we're going to see it in this man. The Bible calls him a a rich ruler. Now I want you to take your Bible and take a right. And go over to the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 16, we're going to... Hey, listen, this is going to be a different kind of sermon today. You and I are going to learn how to study the Bible, how to look beyond just simply one passage. Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three, tell the story of this rich young ruler, this rich young man. In Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 16, it said, Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Verse 17, Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man asked? Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept from my youth. Now look at this. What do I lack? Now take your Bible, and from Matthew, I want you to go to Mark. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. In Mark's account, in Matthew, we have a tax collector. We have a convert who left his tax business, walked away from it, all of the riches and the wealth, and he tells this story in which Jesus has this encounter with this rich young ruler. Luke is a physician, traveling companion of Paul, fed many of the accounts that he has from Peter himself. Now John Mark says this in Mark, beginning at verse 10, verse 17, as Jesus started on His way, a man ran up to Him. Do you see the difference there? It's like three different individuals that are all witnessing and they're looking at it from different angles. And Mark says, Mark is influenced by Peter especially. John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. And Mark tells us, in his account, he says that this rich young ruler that he ran, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother teacher. He declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him. Mark tells us something unique. What does he say? What does he say? Matthew didn't say it. Luke didn't say it. What does Mark tell us? Jesus looked at him. Let's say it together. And what? And loved him. One thing you act, you lack. You may say, why, do we, why would we look at all three accounts? Because all three accounts are giving us, it's almost like we see a car accident or we see a crime take place and we're each giving our slant, our view, what we see. But what we know is this, A rich young ruler, a man who had everything. He was like Jairus. He was like Zacchaeus. Many said that he was the like Jairus, that he was the ruler of the synagogue. Uh, John MacArthur takes that view. I don't know that I agree. He's a young man. And that position was not necessarily given to a young man. This is a young man who has either inherited his wealth or he is an entrepreneur. He knows how to do his money. He knows how to handle his money. And he is extremely wealthy. He is a young man with power and influence. And yet he comes to Jesus. And Mark tells us, and Matthew tells us, and Luke tells us that he runs as if he's trying to catch up with this, with this man, this preacher from Nazareth and he says listen I'm not happy I've got everything that the world can offer I've made money I'm I'm wealthy, I have influence, I have power, I have everything that a man could possibly want, and he looks at Jesus, what do I lack? You ever met people like that? you know what rona barrett said the commentator the one who for years followed hollywood and all of its stars many of them the older stars do you know what rona barrett said at the end as she observed her lifetime of living among the the stardom of hollywood do you know what she said she said i have not met one person in hollywood that was happy He had everything Luke tells us that he had everything he was a rich young ruler and he comes to Jesus and he says good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life now everybody look this way he's not talking about dying He's not talking about, listen, what's going to happen to me when all my wealth and all my riches can't buy me out of death? When I come to the end of my life, He's not talking about what I often will do when I walk out that door and I say, absent from the body to be present with the Lord, you and I are moving from this location to another location. He's not talking about heaven. What He's saying is, He's saying, Lord, where is life? Where is life? Where is purpose and meaning and direction? Because I can't find it. I can't find it in my career. I can't find it in my education. I can't find it in my money. I can't find it in the car I drive, in the home that I own. I can't find it in my marriage. I can't find it in my children. I can't find it, Lord. Where is it? Where is it? Where is eternal life? You and I make the mistake sometimes of thinking that eternal life is something that's beyond this grave. That is not true. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly right now. Sometimes people say, well, where is it? I love Alan, I love the interview with Urban Myers. This, this unbelievable coach who coached Florida and Tim Tebow to a Heisman Trophy, coached Florida to a national championship, went to Ohio State, coached them to a national championship, then went to Jacksonville Jaguars and fell flat on his face. He was videoed in a in a bar acting in an unbecoming way. This was a man that uh, was respected and all of a sudden all of that was lost because in a single video that went viral, this coach was just literally knocked down on his face. He had everything, but he had nothing. And in an interview with ESPN, he made the statement, he said, I was never satisfied. He said, if we beat our opponent by one touchdown, my thought was, why could it be two? He said, if we beat our opponent by two touchdowns, why could it have been three? He said, I was never satisfied. I could not find contentment. It was interesting, a couple of weeks ago when we were watching the NFL, we looked and we saw Urban Myers there as one of the commentators. I was telling my grandsons this morning, Sheila had left her purse in the, in the bedroom and she had gone on out to crank the car. And I saw her purse and so I picked it up and I thought I'd have a fun with little bit of fun with Ledge's family. They're live, staying with us right now. And um, you know, the boys were sitting in there kind of laying around in the living room, Ethan and Caleb and Titus. And I come in with Sheila's purse, getting ready to go out to the car. And I'm holding it like this. And I said, boys, let me give you a lesson about life. I said, if your girlfriend ever tells you to go get her purse, or your wife ever tells you to go get her purse, do not." and I started joking with them, I said, do not put it on your shoulder. I said, do not hold it. And I did something else. I said, grab it like a man and walk out like this and they're all laughing and Ethan who loves football I said to Ethan in that moment I said Ethan a hall of famer a hall of fame running back for the Chicago Bears the star of Jackson State we all know him Walter Payton the first time I met Walter Payton I met him at Meadow Meadowbrook Cinema he was in his first year at Chicago Sheila and I were dating at that time. I was standing in line where there were two NFL players. And eventually I looked and I'm left with this guy, not much taller than me, but he was, his legs looked like they were like that. And I looked at him and I said, you're in the NFL. I said, you are. And he said, I'm Walter Payton. Walter Payton was carrying a little woman's satchel, a little sachet, a little, coin, a little purse. And it was apple red. And I'll never forget, I looked at Walter Payton, and I looked out at that purse, I looked back up and he said, oh, this is this my girlfriend's. <laughs> I didn't know I was talking to a Hall of Famer. I watched an ESPN special on football, I think it was Football for Life, on the life of Walter Payton. Walter Payton went through many, many trials and difficulties. unfaithful in his marriage dabbling in things he knew he shouldn't have, going through great dark time when his career began to fail him his wife stood by him his children stood by him and then he came to a cancer and in that moment in that interview They show him he's lost an enormous amount of weight. The one man who once used to run in the stadium of Jackson State when all the other players went home, he was running the bleachers. The man who has a heel that is named for him, that individual that ran just ran and ran, who built up those legs to run like he could. Walter Payton sat at a desk. He looked like a skeleton with skin over it. His family had repeatedly said, Walter, you need to go get something done only to find out that he had cancer and that he was dying. Walter Payton, with all the prestige, all the honor, all the accolades, began to break down and he wept. And you know what he was pleading for? He was pleading for people to love him you've got somebody that loves you you've got more than money could ever buy this young man he he had everything and yet he's he's running to catch up with Jesus who has nothing you remember what Jesus said he said i don't even have a place the son of Amanda lay his head he had no home he had nothing and this rich young ruler is running catching up with him and he says lord i lack something look at what he says here and you may say well why did jesus why did jesus get on to him about calling him good He uses a Greek word, I think it's agathos, the idea of uh, goodness. Let, let, Let me put it this way. Everybody listen. This is important. You and I are not good. The Bible says that. We're not intrinsically good. We don't have to teach our kids to be bad. It seems to come natural to them. I didn't say, uh, Ledge, come in here. I want to show you how to hit your sister, Emily. I didn't have to do that. It comes natural. They lie, they they chill, they they cheat, they steal. It comes natural. We are not intuitively good. That's our problem. At the very base of who we are, we have a corrupt heart. And so when Jesus looks at this rich young ruler, and this rich young ruler uses that term in the Greek of meaning intrinsically good, which a Jew would not do, in that moment the reason Jesus says what he says is, he's actually saying, are you calling me God? do you mean what you just said? Am I God? Because if if I am Wadi Akafeka, as the Shona said in Africa, Mwadi Akafeka Munyama, if I'm God with flesh wrapped around me, invading my creation due to this virus of sin that has taken hold of my creation, and only God the creator can step into his creation and fix it, and that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. If you're calling me God, then you need to listen to what I'm about to ask you to do. Because Jesus looks at him, and you remember, he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus looked at him and said, you know the commandments, you're a good Jew. You know the commandments, listen to them. Do not commit adultery. You know what that that young man did? He ticked that box off. Yeah, I haven't done that. Never committed adultery. There's some in this room, your thought is, I've never committed adultery either. But boy, did Jesus redefine adultery. If any man looks on a woman to lust after her in his heart, he's already committed adultery. Ah. Do not commit adultery. He, he, He ticked that box off. Do not murder. He, I, I, I've, not, I've not taken anybody's life. But Jesus said, if you say to your brother, or you slander your brother, you gossip about your brother, you tear down another individual and destroy who they are, their character, their personhood, if you hurt them deep enough and bad enough, you can literally almost kill them. Jesus said, You murdered but he ticked off the box, didn't I haven't committed adultery, uh, I haven't murdered, uh, he, do not steal. Uh, well, I haven't stolen. I, what I've got, I've gotten honestly. But one, and I, think it's, and I think it's Mark, do you notice that Mark adds something that the other writers didn't add? Do not defraud. And you know what Jesus was doing? He was looking into the heart of the man. He said, yeah, you've made a lot of money, but you have done it, some of it, in a fraudulent maybe way. Do not defraud. And it comes from the Greek and the Hebrew there, the idea of coveting. Do not steal. Okay, I haven't committed adultery. Haven't murdered. Haven't taken anything that didn't belong to me. Uh, I've, not bore, I've not bear false testimony. And I honor my father and mother. He's ticking the boxes. Now, I want everybody to listen. The Ten Commandments are, are, are divided. The first part of the Ten Commandments deals with our relationship with God, the second part of the Ten Commandments deals with our relationship with one another. Where does Jesus take this young man? Does he take him to this? Shake head, no. He doesn't talk about using, having no other God uh, before you. He doesn't talk about using the name of God in vain. He doesn't talk about any of that. He's talking only on this second half. He's just saying to this young man, Hey, listen, let's just talk about how you treat people. We're not even going to deal with that. Let's talk about this. Look at verse 21. What does what this young man say? All these I have kept since I was a boy. The Jewish boy became a man at the age of 12 years, 12 years old, bar mitzvah, bar under mitzvah the law. Bar mitzvah. He's now under the law. He's accountable himself. He says, ever since I, bar mitzvah, have been under the law, I have not committed adultery, I have not murdered, I have not stolen, I have not bore false testimony, and I have honored my father and mother. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you lack some." You know what the law is designed to do? You know what Paul said in Galatians? You know what the law does? The law just tells me that I'm guilty, that's all. Now let me tell you, if you go home and you're going, if you're going through Pearl, let me just go ahead and warn you ahead of time. They're waiting on you. Alan lives in Pearl and he's sitting there going, they're waiting on you. They're waiting on you. And, and when you're going through there, you're going to see something on the side of the interstate as you're coming into Pearl, and what is it? It's the speed limit. And what's the speed limit, Alan, and Pearl, right there at the, on the interstate? What is it? It's 60. Okay, now... Um, I was with jim jordan one time when a woman came there from dallas came through there doing nearly 100 miles an hour in a diesel volkswagen and we called up with her we called up with her about brandon and i mean i was praying because our car was going everywhere i mean it was scary and when he pulled her over beautiful African American girl just just precious in many ways looked like a model she said oh officer I didn't realize I was going that fast and she even said this she said my cruise control was set like that since I left Dallas and I thought oh honey you're getting ready to get a ticket now everybody listen the Ten Commandments the law the Decalogue the, the law the Levitical law the law was only to do one thing. That 60 mile an hour sign there only does one thing. It tells you what the law expects. And when, the, when you get pulled over, the officer will say, Sir, do you realize that you were doing 78 miles an hour? You were clocked at 78 miles an hour and a 60 mile an hour speed limit. And luckily, you're under 20 miles an hour over the speed limit because if it was 82, the good possibility you could go to jail for reckless driving. If you looked at the officer and said, Officer, I saw that speed limit sign but it just did not help me obey the law. It was cruel and mean it only told me that I was breaking the law. It didn't help me. That doesn't even make sense does it? Everybody listen. The law of the Old Testament was never to give you and I the power to obey it. It was the school teacher Paul said in Galatians that would point us there point us to the cross that's it Jesus said you lack something well what is it tell me what it is I want to know what is it did you hear it he said take everything that you own sell it all give it to the say it aloud give it to the poor and what and follow me right now let me ask you something was that possible was it possible was he asking him to do something that he couldn't do who, who which you remember the disciples you remember they get they, they just come unglued because peter said lord we've done that James and John said, we did that. We left our fishing business and our father, and we left our... Hey, Matthew, who wrote it, he was a tax collector. You remember what he was doing. He was was at his tax booth in the middle of business, in the middle of his operation. He was a multimillionaire. And Jesus looked at him and said, Matthew, follow me. And you know what Matthew did? And he could have been, listen, he could have been prosecuted by the Roman emperor, by the Roman governmental system. He walked away from that tax booth, just put it behind him, walked and followed Jesus. James and John left that fishing boat, left their father, sons of thunder, followed Jesus. Peter left the fishing business and followed Jesus. Jesus was saying, listen, rich young ruler, listen, give it all to the poor and follow me and one of the saddest pictures in scripture is when the young man walked away And his life was never the same. Jesus Christ can take your life and give you a life that people will envy. But you're going to have to give up everything. And you may say, well, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that he's calling me to liquidate everything? Well, if he tells you to do that, do that. You say, well, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. I did. There was a time when she was crying and trying to figure out out of the kids' stuff what was important enough to keep. We actually had two, three pals. I told Sheila, I said, Sheila, I'd hear her in there sobbing. We were getting ready to go to Africa and we only could take four crates, wood crates, and Brittany, I'd, she's just like a young mom, and she'd be in there, <laughs> you know, going through the kids' stuff, and, and I'd just, I'd, sometimes i walk and say, Sheila, just go and let me do it for a while, because I can throw away anything. I could throw away the kids if she wasn't watching. I mean, you know, I just, I know, I'm joking. But I said, Sheila, we got three pals. We got this pal. This is, this is garage sale or throw it away. This pile here is we're going to have to keep it and store it in the United States, which means we're going to put it in Dad's garage. This is what we're going to put into the crate, and we have four 200-cubic-foot crates. So this had better be real important. It's hard to give up stuff did we gain when we left Zimbabwe the airport was full there were Africans from Chitanguiza there were uh, Cyprians Greeks Italians Ethiopians the airport was full They're weeping and they're crying. We're embracing. And we're being reminded we gain far more than we ever lost. You know what Jesus said to you? You don't give up nothing that he'll not restore it a hundred times over. One thing you lack. What is it? Some of, you are, some of you are really good people, but let me tell you, let me go ahead and make a prophetic statement. You will never be used greatly by God because you lack the commitment. You dabble in the things of God and you're not sold out to Him. And you're content to live your life that way. Church is just an occasional, I show up. The things of God, if I've got time, I read my Bible. If I have time, I pray. I don't mention Jesus much in my workplace, seldom ever, and I surely don't mention him in the school. And I never would go tell people up and down my street about Jesus Christ. And you get to the end of your life and you think, God, what a waste. He lacked one thing, but he couldn't What do you lack today? I want you to stand. You may say, Brother Jeff, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Well, that's the first thing you lack. First thing you do in your life is you settle your salvation. You know that you know that you're saved. That's number one. Secondly, as you begin to figure out God's purpose, God's plan, God's will for your life, it may require you and I to give up some things that we're holding on to tightly. Because listen, listen, He has something better. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You this morning, and Lord, we look at this rich young ruler, this young man. Lord, all these different accounts. He ran to Jesus. He fell at His feet. He he asked a question that we all ask. And Lord, the title of this lesson was Seeker Sick Churches. Because a lot of times, if we're not careful, we so accommodate ourselves to the seeker that they're never even made aware of what they lack. So sometimes, dear Lord, uh, and even in this, we see Jesus putting up something that by all, seem to be impossible for this young man to do but if he would do it there would be freedom Lord for all of us in this room may we look at our life may we examine may if there is something that stands between us and you God may we lay it down at your feet may we give it to you dear Lord in such a way we say Lord I this is it And Lord, may You speak to us in a way that You haven't spoke to us in a very, very long time. Very intimately right now. And Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know You today, that they would be saved, that they would give their life to You and begin to live their life for You. And Lord, may everything be to Your glory and honor. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.